Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson. How do? This is your Daily Premier League podcast, which is now twice daily. No one is giving you more free Premier League content than us. You get the full podcast every lunchtime and then, just as it's time to pack up for the day and close your laptop, there's a quick micro pod to wrap up everything that you might have missed. We've got your back when it comes to Premier League podcasts. It's full podcast time now and on today's show there's a whole load of transfer news to fight our way through, including a shock move for Delhi Alley that calls into question his future as a top level footballer also Newcastle are looking to raid Chelsea for pretty much half an entire squad and Wesley Fofana that saga could potentially be coming to an end over the coming days we're also going to test the memories of our two pundits on today's show with a bit of midweek quiz action and those two brains that are going to be getting a full workout belong to Marley Anderson are you good mate yeah very good not too bad at all Good to hear. And Joel Tudor, who's back after a few days off sick. But I want you to be honest with me, Joel. Have you actually been sick or have you just been trying to avoid talking about Manchester United over the last couple of days? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, you could be as sick as you want, but nothing will, make, <laughs> nothing will make you more sick than Manchester United at the moment. So, yeah, genuinely sick on this occasion. Well, the bad news is that is exactly where we are going to start on today's podcast with the farce that is Manchester United at the moment, because there are not one, there's not two, there are three stories that relate to Manchester United, and each one is more ridiculous than the last. Hated, adored, but never ignored, and they are impossible to ignore at the moment. So there is a load of stories flying around at the moment. I'm going to start with arguably the biggest, but one that was also quite short-lived. The suggestion last night from Elon Musk... On Twitter, a man with a personal wealth of $270 billion, so that's 230 million quid or something like that, billion quid, sorry, he's got a decent amount of cash. He announced on Twitter last night that he was going to buy Manchester United, revealing a little bit later that it was all a bit of a joke. Although he did say if he was going to buy a football club, the football club he would buy would be Manchester United. No suggestion that he is looking to buy a football club. Did you see this last night, Joel? And for a moment... Did you get a little bit excited about the potential exit of the Glazers and the potential entry of one of the richest men on the planet? No, not initially, just because he's been in trouble with the SEC a few times just for manipulating stocks through his tweets. So I wasn't exactly jumping for joy because he always seems to do that, (laughs) Uh, especially if anyone's followed his Twitter takeover, which seems to be on the back burner now. But I think what's encouraging for United fans is that it's on the lips of the richest man in the world, which is quite telling of how the situation's being heard amongst the elite people, shall we say, who have the the money capable of actually um, buying the club, which I think maybe a month ago or two months ago, it felt as though there was a little bit of like no hope where no one would actually be touching the club or there wasn't any interest. But I think it definitely shows that there is people who are out there who maybe have known months or years before that the club potentially might reach this point, who will definitely have been hovering around. But I think it's just quite a sad situation how he's even joking around with it, saying how I think he he followed on with the tweet saying, I'm only joking, I'm not buying it, but I supported United as a kid. Um, It just seems as though United are a bit of a laughing stock at the moment, which 
seems it has been the case for the last two years on and off the pitch um but i don't see anything of the kind happening i think i've seen a recent interview with him and when you're managing StockX and tesla i don't know how you find the time to manage a football club as well so um i'd be very very surprised if that one happened but i think it's just encouraging that the momentum's carrying on going and everyone knows the eyes that elon musk has on what he says i mean one one of his tweets can change a company's financial situation or can change everything so um if anything i think it puts even more global eyes on the situation that's going on at the club which is what's what's needed to be honest i mean whoever does come in and buy manchester united if someone comes in and buys manchester united that they have to be incredibly wealthy because they've got to pay off the debt and then look to purchase the club from the glazers so it's not going to be a cheap operation and a lot of the narrative from fans around manchester united at the moment and the troubles they face marley is laid firmly at the door of the glazers and their running of the football club and I have no doubt at all that the Glazers are not owners that many football fans would want at their football club. The way they came in and they immediately loaded debt onto the club and they take their interest payments and they look to borrow against it. It's it's destroyed the commercial, the financial model of Manchester United. But I also think there's a point of separation between what the Glazers are doing off the pitch and what happens on the pitch because they have invested in playing staff and they might not have invested wisely, but there has been that investment in terms of players in there. Would a change of ownership change anything in terms of Manchester United and where they are now? Yeah, I, I think it would. Because if you look at Man United and you look at the the problems and, and where they arise from, like, you know, you mentioned there that they, they have spent money on players and, and that's true. But the, the players they're getting linked with is all as a result of... Uh, and the players they've signed are, are all results of people who don't know football making football decisions. Like Ed Woodward was was a problem. Um, you know, very good accountant, very good businessman, um, but not a, not a football man. And I th- I'd I'd probably argue since Fergie left, has there been a guy who knows football and specialises in scouting and and doing deals here here and there um, at that upstairs level of, of Man United and I'm not sure because even now when they're in trouble and they need you know they've lost a couple of games and everything's a bit uh, miserable around the club you know they're being linked with you know last week Vardy and uh, you know 35 36 year old Vardy 33 year old Arnautovic 27 year old walking running problem Adrian Rabio and his horrible mother um, and there's all sorts of stuff going on you know it's just he'll be after yeah, bring it on little Weird French woman, <laughs> little she. She thinks Rabiot was flipping like flick, uh, prime Ronaldo or something. Like it's it's mental. Like he's just. But these, he's, th- he's th- just th- a whinging little little bloke. These things aren't mutually exclusive. The Glazers could run the football club the way they've run it, loading it with debt, taking their interest payments, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and could still run the football club with success on the pitch. They don't have to be separate. They're two. Completely different things. If they put a director of football in place, for example, that did understand the club and could develop a strategy, that would almost solve the problem. Well, a problem. It would, yeah. But yeah, it would help. Um, I think with when you've got owners like like that, I think you know they're they're that happy and content to sit and take the dividends and and you know have launched their debt on something that isn't there their problem and you know isn't hanging over their heads and they've levered levered it on the club or whatever 
you know, it's one of them where they don't see that their investment could be even more than it is now if they were successful on the pitch because the commercial entity would go through the roof like even more. Um, the shirt sales, the the exposure, everything, everything that builds a club's sort of background finances is always financed by what happens on the pitch because that's ultimately what it comes down to. If you win things, you become bigger, you get more money in the uh, in the coffers, and you're, you know, if you're in the Champions League, you know, you get two hundred million or whatever it is a season. And even if you look at that from a selfish point of view, from the Glazers' point of view. Shouldn't they could they could realistically be going? Well, we want to get in the Champions League because we want the money that it generates, and even that decision would would benefit Man United as a whole because they'd be trying. And all they've got to do really is find a director of football um, and a couple of guys on the board to to look after the the financial um, sorry the scout inside of of things and get the right players in to work with the manager who they've clearly invested in. Um, they think he's he's the answer. So, but they you know they're not they're not backing him enough with with sort of forward thinking signings, the the reactionary signings, and you know they they're not doing something which would benefit the club in the long term because they're quite happy to sit there and go, yeah, we'll just take hundred and fifty million each at the end of this season or how whatever the whatever the finances are, we'll just have that at the end of the season and we're not really bothered because. Ultimately, someone might come along in six months' time, or two weeks' time, or two decades' time, and give us eight billion for Man United or something, whatever mad fee they want. So it's all a bit of a mess, to be honest. It's going to take someone so much money to to pay them out. It's going to need to be a consortium. They're going to need to come in quickly and jump through a hell of a lot of hoops before they get any better. Marley's mentioned the second fast-based story there, Joel. He shared his view on Adrian Rabiot and the potential transfer there. The news today is that transfer is off because of the players' crazy wage demands. First off, how crazy are his wage demands given some of the wages that Manchester United are prepared to hand out? And secondly, have United dodged a little bit of a bullet with this one? Or could he have done a job in that Manchester United side? Well, just going off Marley's point, I think no woman will love you like a mother can and it's showing here because I'm sure she's asked for an absolutely ridiculous amount for her son who is just on the fringes of the Juventus side. I think Juventus thought they hit the lottery when United came calling considering he's out of contract next year. And I think it's probably a a strike of luck for United. In a way, it's, it's, it's a good one of the good silver linings from United in the last two to three months that they're not willing to go above what they're actually willing to go for, where I'm sure maybe two months ago they might have actually gave into the demands. But I think in this occasion, which is a rare one, Rabiot and his mum aren't in the biggest bargaining position whereas United actually are, and that's quite a miracle considering how desperate United are at the moment. Um, but I think, I mean, I would love to see how far the, how far in the pecking order Rabiot is in comparison to all of the other targets Ten Hag's actually had, because I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not like the fourth or fifth choice target at the moment. Um, I just question, where's the recruitment team? Where's the scouting team? Because... It, it seems as though they're doing a job that everyone on Twitter could do, which is basically look at every top team, find who are the fringe players and start offering them pretty massive contracts. 
because I've seen yesterday Casemiro from Madrid has been linked. He's slowly been phased out. And a word of warning is that if Real Madrid are willing to give away a player, you should run for the hills because they never let a player go who is valuable to them. Um, and that's this will be another case of it. He's 30 years old, by no means not finished, but it'll be another player who's on a massive contract in four years' time. And it's not the future planning that we need. Um, so I just, I, I truly don't believe there's even a department we have for that. And if they are, I want in because they clearly don't do anything <laughs> at the moment and they're probably earning an absolute fortune. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a mess going into the last two weeks of a window as well with barely any progress or any uh, resolutions for all of the players that have gone, which is about eight or nine players now. It's just not good enough when you've got one of the most impressive and progressive managers in the last 10 years joining your club, and he's been left with an absolutely broken team. And now they're scouring around Europe, finding these basically mercenaries that no top European club even wants anymore. I mean, is that the the way we're going now again? You know, going for the Cavani types and the Falcao types. It just doesn't work. But they always find themselves in that position. So, you know, I'm not even angry anymore. It's just, just the way this club's going to go until they actually get some people in the board from outside the club, which is key, outside the club who know how to run a football inside of a business. The third story of farce related to Manchester United, and you'll be glad to hear, Joel, the final story as well, is concerning Cristiano Ronaldo, who was obviously a little bit worried that the spotlight might be wavering off him for a second because he commented on an Instagram post last night concerning his future by saying that in the weeks to come, the truth about his time at Manchester United will come out. He's promised that he's going to give a tell-all interview at some point and he's got a record of all the stories that's been published about him a hundred or so in total with four being true or something along those lines what is the actual truth here in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo does he want in does he want to stay at the club does he want to leave and is it going to be the right time for a tell-all interview in the coming weeks I assume it'll be after the transfer window finishes because surely one of your key players speaking out whatever he's got to say is going to damage the club further Joel yeah, for me, this this Ronaldo situation has baffled me, to be honest, because I just question how can a player like Ronaldo, who's been a serial winner for the last, what, 20 years, I just don't get how he's been scapegoated as this problem that needs to be resolved and kicked out of the club when there's clearly way bigger issues than him. It just... it. it is very confusing because he was the player and kind of the shining light last season. And I think without him, we would have been in an even worse position than we actually were considering he got 18 goals at 37 years old and barely anyone else. I think the next top scorer was in single digits, which shows everything you need to know. I think with his comment on Instagram, it sounds as if he's going to wait until after deadline day to see where he actually is before you know, he starts making these official comments. But on in his defence, and I've been noticing it recently, the media have got zero accountability for everything that they write at the moment and they're getting away with everything. I think I saw Sky Sports delete one of their tweets where he said something along the lines of um, Manchester United will be willing to sell Ronaldo if his attitude doesn't change. And they deleted it as if it never happened. But the repercussions of that and damaging 
a person's reputation and their character is pretty damaging. And it just seems as though they're all having a, an absolute field day in terms of being able to write what they want, um, can pluck out any story they want. And judging from what he said, where he said only five news stories have been correct out of the last 100 I think it just shows you it's all about generating hits after hits after hits and engagement, whereas actually telling some substantial truth and stories that are actually, you know, can be backed up. So I think right now it's a bit of a manhunt, to be honest, and because he's one of the biggest superstars in the world, of course, the limelight's going to be on him is logical because he generates so much attention, and that's the reason why, purely is the reason why. So I'd be very interested to see, but... It's a sad. It's going to be a sad ending either way because it's just. I, I I believe personally his expectations are just not being met at the club at the moment, which is he thought they were going to be way more ambitious, and they're not. And I think he has every right to kind of have a bit of an attitude because we're going absolutely nowhere. And if no player wants to follow his lead in terms of changing the club around, then yeah, maybe he does need to go because no one else wants to seem to follow his ambition because you have to question them what where does the club want to go do we want to be title contenders again or do we want to stay in the same position you can breathe out now Manchester United fans because we're going to leave it there you can reopen your ears and have a smile back on your face because we will leave Manchester United for the time being no doubt we'll return to talking about them over the coming weeks it'll be fascinating to see how things pan out over the next couple of weeks is Jamie Vardy coming in is Cristiano Ronaldo going out what is going to happen we'll keep you abreast of it all on Football Social Daily and we've got more transfer news to discuss next including the future of Deli Alley including the future of Wesley Fofana and including the future of a whole load of Chelsea players who could be off to Newcastle we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, about to get stuck into the transfer news. Around two weeks left of the window, and things seem to be hotting up a little bit at the moment. Starting with Delhi Ali today, and there's various news outlets reporting that Delhi Ali could be off to Istanbul to play for Besiktas after just a few months of playing for Everton. It wasn't that long ago he joined them to see if he could resurrect his career. Doesn't look like it's gone too well at Everton. Did you expect it to work out there, Marley, given that Frank Lampard is the manager and I guess Frank Lampard is probably a player who you could say is in the same mould as Deli Ali. My feeling was that if anyone was going to get a song out of him, it was going to be Lampard, but it doesn't seem to have worked out. He's not started either of the games at the start of the season, not that Everton have been particularly flying, and now it looks like he's on his way out. Do you think it's a bit of a shock that it's not worked out, or did you see this happening in the first place? Um, I, I saw the sale happening. As soon as, as, soon as it got... Um sort of a couple of months into his Everton spell and he wasn't playing that often and when he was playing he wasn't playing well I've seen this seen this move coming because I think there's a there's a it's a weird one how they signed him from Spurs they signed him on a free but they owe them um, like I think it's like 25 or 30 million when he plays a certain amount of games and he hasn't hit that amount of games yet but he's very close to it um, so it's kind of sell, sell him now or pay an absolute ton for him, and you know he's not he's not worked so far. He's not, he's not um, found his his form that he, he once had, um, which is a shame, really. But 
you know, if you look on social media today, there's um, there's the Jose Mourinho clip of um, uh, All or Nothing Spurs from the Amazon documentary where he calls him into his, his office and said, look, like, today I'm, I'm 56, but yesterday I was 20 and my career's just gone. Like, my career's just flew by and I've got no regrets, but you you need to have no regrets. You need to get the best out of yourself that you possibly can. And now you look back at it and like Ali sat there like with this sort of look on his face where you're thinking, is he even taking this seriously? Because like how many times has Jose Mourinho's comments aged like a fine wine? Absolutely beautifully. He's he's always right. He always knows the problem. He can see it coming. Um, Ali's one of them. He's, he said it with Man United when he said, uh, one of my greatest achievements was finishing second with this squad, and then what was it? Five years later, <laughs> he won't even won the Europa League everyone with them. Took the f- at the time, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and five years later, you know they're absolutely crap. <laughs> so you're looking at that and going, "Well, that's aged brilliantly." Like, listen to Jose when he speaks. Um, and now, you know, Deli Ali's been fin- um, binned off to a, you know, a, a substandard league in in Turkey, and you know they're. <laughs> It's good that Turkey exists, to be fair, because they'll always take a chance on on players that drop out of the Premier League. But, I mean, Ali's younger than the types that usually end up in Turkey. You know, they usually sign 30-plus players who, you know, best years are behind them, but they might have a couple of years of success in a slightly, uh, like, less talented league, let's say. But Deli Ali's still in his in his twenties. He should be coming into his prime. But he peaked really early. He peaked at twenty twenty one when he was smashing the bin for Spurs and he scored eighteen league goals. And it just hasn't worked out for him. And it's it's a bit of a shame. But I think the most part of it comes down to him and his work rate. I think he's he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's who's worked hard enough to make the most of his potential in his career. He is only twenty six, Joel. And as Marley kind of points out when you move to the Turkish league, that tends to be it for your career. Very few players go and play in Turkey for a couple of years, then come back to the Premier League. He had, well, he has 30 plus caps for England at a young age. Does it feel like this is a bit of a waste? Do you think there is a Premier League team who could take a chance on him, could get a song out of him, could reignite his focus and his passion, maybe even on something like a pay-per-play deal where you're only going to pay out your wages. Like Jack Wiltshire when he joined West Ham, it was pay-per-play. He was only going to get his wages when he appeared for the club. Do you think there's a team that, maybe like a Brentford, that could take a chance on him? I think with a pay-per-play, that was usually for injury-ridden players, isn't it, where they're not guaranteed to actually be fit, whereas Deli Ali's always fit. It's just the case of his form, really. I think with Deli Ali, I think it's just such a sad case of just... And like what I just, I saw the Mourinho uh, clip recently, and I think it's very telling from that clip that it's all a mentality thing. I think you can see it from Deli Ali's face as well. I don't I don't want to comment on like you know what he's like as a person because I don't know him at all. But from what you can tell from that clip, it just feels like it's in one ear and out of the other, where he he. he does what's required but it doesn't go above and beyond to actually really continue to develop himself and I, I'm, I don't know if it was the case but after that amazing couple of seasons where he got those 20 goals and he seemed like he was on top of the world I don't know if I don't know whether his work ethic just completely cut off a little bit and complacency maybe started to kick in where he felt that 
the job was done and that there was no need to kind of keep pushing on and progressing um because you see it with all these top top athletes who have done it for you know 20 plus years not even in just football but in basketball and all the other sports and it's just the case of having to prove yourself every single year you know the year before doesn't mean anything once the new season starts and it just feels as though with him it's purely been just a mentality thing and I think Mourinho saw it straight away with him where he knew he knows that there's a player in there but it's a case of whether he wants it or not because he definitely has the talent. I mean, we all saw him under Pochettino. He was so impressive when he played uh, just behind Kane uh, in that Tottenham team, which was one of the most like enjoyable teams to watch play in the Premier League, I think, for, for a good amount of years that I can remember. And it just seems as though it's another one of those cases where a player just doesn't want it bad enough. I don't know whether it comes to financials, maybe, where once you hit a certain amount, for a young player it suddenly becomes less of a motivation or whether he truly just doesn't find football a massive passion of his anymore I don't know because sometimes when there's so much scrutiny that can come to you after such a massive uh, high of a season and then you drop down and then all this pressure suddenly comes on you and then you've got to prove yourself whereas before it was a case of just showing yourself I don't know whether and again it all just comes down to mentality and how you deal with that and that's why Cristiano Ronaldo is the person he is and the, the stature he is because he's a mentality monster and you can go to every other athlete. So it is a shame because there's definitely a player in there, but I think it's just too little too late, to be honest. Moving on to Leicester City, Fabrizio Romano has been talking about the future of Wesley Fofana. It's been ongoing for a while, this, but Fabrizio Romano is reporting, and he's usually pretty good in this stuff, that Fofana has agreed personal terms with Chelsea. But Chelsea and Leicester are still to reach an agreement on the fee. Chelsea are refusing to meet the £85 million that Leicester City want for the French centre-back. Still only 21. If you're a betting man, Marley, do you think this one's going to get done before deadline day? It seems like everyone wants it to happen. It's just there's a bit of a gap between what Chelsea want and what Leicester City want at the moment. It's uh, it's starting to look that way, isn't it? I think... Um... Once Chelsea start flirt, uh, fluttering their eyelashes at, at players, it's uh, it usually goes one way. You've seen it with Cucurella, um, you've seen it with with Koulibaly and, and and players in the past under different regimes and stuff as well. So it's hard to turn down. Um, Chelsea do need at least one more defender. I think he's he's one of the best out there in terms of um, coming from a club which you would expect to sell. Um, I do feel bad for for Leicester though. If if he forces his way out, I think it's a really sour note to end on because I think with um, with what like you know they they've they've scouted him from France for like thirty million quid or whatever it was, and you know they've put their investment into him, made him give him the platform, um, supported him through his injury and things like that, give him a new nice big five year contract, um, and then not even a year later he might he might be leaving so. It, it does leave a bit of a sour taste. I don't think he's in any rush for this move. I think if it wasn't Chelsea this year, it might be another top, top club next year. It might be, it could easily be a Real Madrid or a Barcelona if they get the money or it could be anyone really. I think he, he would have the pick of a lot of teams, even PSG, if you, you know, young French lad going to PSG, for example, if, if they sell Sergio Ramos in 
a year or two with him being, you know, 36 now. So it's one of them where I don't really think he needs to move now, but I think he will. Um, we've still got two weeks left in the in the window. And if, if people are starting to report the personal terms are done, it tends to be, you know, closer to the end than, than you may think. Because once you... I think that's the harder bit. I think it, it's obvious that Leicester won 80 million plus. It's obvious that Chelsea have got it. Um, it's obvious as well that, you know, with with the time running out, it's it's either sort of put up or shut up. And are you going to go and put your investment into someone else if you say, no, no, that's too much money? I don't think they will. Um, I just think they'll go, right, okay, we don't really want to pay 80 million, but we will do. And then we'll sell, you know, hudson Adoy or Pulisic and Ziyech and we'll recoup 30 million. So actually the, the layout is only 50 million. Um and they'll look at it like that and say, if we can balance it elsewhere, we'll we'll put the investment into Fafana and, and maybe get ten years out of him. So it's um it's almost like written on the wall for me. I think this one will happen. The fact that personal terms are being discussed is a sign that it might happen, and it's a sign that Leicester City are willing to play ball because they would have had to agree for those personal terms even to be discussed. So it is just that final figure that's being haggled over. Brendan Rodgers last week said he felt that Wesley Fofana's development was better suited at Leicester City. And I guess he might have a point, Joel, because he's still only 21 Fofana. And does he walk into that Chelsea team, that first team with Koulibaly and Thiago, the current centre-back pairing, who have got a lot of experience and a lot of ability between them? It's difficult to see how Fofana is going to get as much game time at Chelsea as he is getting at Leicester City at the moment. I'm just really jealous that they're getting to pay 80 million for Fafana and we didn't get the better end of the bargain a couple of years ago. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's a ridiculous fee to pay. 80, 80 million, I think, for any defender is pretty ridiculous. But it's a case of just how much potential he has. And I think for Chelsea, they're going to be looking to maybe coast Equator out of the team quite slowly. And then if you have Fafana, Thiago Silva, who's obviously, I think, 37 now, um, they're going to start having to readjust quite slowly, I think, because Thiago Silva, I think, will start to decline quite quickly in the next year or so. But for Fafana, just coming back from that leg break, I do think at 21, I don't think there's any rush to actually go and change clubs so quickly. Um, I think he's probably just worried that the opportunity might not arise again, which after such a massive amount of interest, I think that's what a lot of young players probably think that if this chance goes away now, then, you know, what happens if I get an injury again or what happens if my form declines this season and I don't get that opportunity to go to that club. Um, But I think it was telling how Brendan Rodgers, when he first heard of the interest from Chelsea, he just came out and distinctively said, you know, he's not for sale. And then after Chelsea's two or three bids, he said it's not close to the valuation. So clearly he does have a price and he will go if they do meet that price. But it's going to be difficult for Leicester because they're defensively not very good at the moment anyway. And to replace Fafana in probably the space of 10 days when every single club in Europe knows you've just received £80 million is going to be such a difficult task to try and get anyone who's of decent quality for a good price as well. Um, I'm not sure. Have Leicester actually bought someone yet? I can't recall if anyone... They still haven't, gosh. So yeah, it's going to be... A, hopefully, I'm sure Leicester fans will be hoping it'll be a big 
10, 10 days for them because they definitely need some recruitment, um, especially a centre-back in for Farnagos. I think if he goes and they don't get anyone in, it's going to be possibly a, a, a... I reckon it could be a potential relegation fight for them just because they're so frail at the back. The final bit of transfer news comes from Newcastle United who have expressed an interest according to the Telegraph in signing three-slash-four players from Chelsea. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Connor Gallagher and USA forward Christian Pulisic, all apparently interesting the Magpies. Also, they're keen on Amando Broja, whose future at Chelsea seems a bit uncertain at the moment. They can only take one player on loan from Chelsea, and they do have various financial restrictions on the number of players they can sign and the value they can sign them for as well at Newcastle. I guess this is one for you, Marley. I mean, four players there, all decent. Would that be a good haul for Newcastle or should they be looking a little bit higher than picking off Chelsea rejects? Um, I I like the, the players we've been linked with. Uh, you know, the, there's four there, but obviously we won't get all four. We'll maybe get one, maybe possibly two, but um, I don't think there's anything wrong with with picking off Chelsea players that aren't quite getting in their team because you, you see it quite a lot of players not making it at at a club who who were challenging for things and and going on to have very good careers elsewhere, you know, um, I think Conor Gallagher. I think we spoke about it on on the podcast. I think it was yesterday or or Monday. It was, you know, I don't think the Chelsea system suits him, and I don't think he's um was one who's going to come back off a off a really good loan where he could literally have done very little else um, and get in that team. I, I just don't see it. Happening, I see him playing ten, fifteen minutes off the bench every, every week, every two weeks, and maybe a few starts in the Champions League group stages. But from then on, not really. Um, the one I'd, I'm, I've been hoping for 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 a while is, um, is Callum Hudson Odoi because we need a winger. He's been, you know, I mean, Bayern Munich bidded fifty million quid for him a year ago, eighteen months ago, something like that. So. He's clearly got potential. He's just never getting the games there. He needs to go on a loan with a an option or an obligation to buy. Um, the thing I like if, about all those players is they've all got potential still, haven't they? They've all been at Chelsea, but they're all at the same time at good ages where you can see them developing a little bit further. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's Hudson Odoi about 22, 23. So it's time for him to start you know, playing, playing every week. He's He's got the ability. He just needs... Um, coaxing out of him he needs a platform to to go and do it on and I don't think there's many clubs better positioned than the Newcastle at the minute to to give him that and to play in a system which will suit him and to play for a manager that gets gets good results out of out of players and has a good record with young players as well so I um I've been wanting this for a while because I think it's it's fairly straightforward to get him on a loan um even if it ended up as a loan without an option to buy um the loan itself shouldn't be too difficult, you wouldn't think. You know, he's not playing at Chelsea. Tuchel clearly seems to not like him. Um, and, you know, just show your interest. I think I don't think he'd be that hard to to get for a year or even six months. So we'll have to see whether that one happens. But as for as for Pulisic, I, I don't don't see that coming off. He's uh, I think he's a player who would want a a, a big move to to uh, a sort of European giant, especially with him like being American and his his commercial side of his deals as well is uh, something that would maybe 
uh, sort of attract someone like Juventus or someone like that, some some bigger like European style heavyweight. We'll leave the transfer news there for today. There is likely to be some deals done in the Premier League today, so make sure you are subscribed to this podcast because Football Social Daily shots will be on later. Around five o'clock, you'll be able to get that. Niall will be back to summarise everything that's happened in the last few hours in case there's anything you missed. So make sure you are subscribed or following this podcast and you'll get that as soon as it's ready. We're going to wrap up today's podcast by testing Joel, Marley and your brains on the last seven days of football. Stay there. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is the final bit of today's Football Social Daily and we're going to finish with a quiz in the week, quiz in the week, quiz in the week, quiz in the week. I think I might need to get a little uh, theme tune <laughs> made for that. We're going to you test... should work in radio, Eugene. I should, didn't I? We should test the brains of Marley and Joel to see what they remember from the last seven days of football and their general knowledge as well. This is penalty shootout style. It's best of three. I'll go between you. We'll keep score. Whoever does best wins today's title. Are you ready, boys? Let's go. You sound more ready, Marley, so you can go first. Very first question. <laughs> as mentioned earlier... Deli Ali could be off to Besiktas in Turkey after his move to Everton failed to work out. But from which club did Ali join Spurs from as an 18-year-old back in 2015 for five million quid? That'd be the uh, the land of mini roundabouts, MK Dons. Correct. Well done. Marley scored the first. Let's see if you can keep pace, Joel. Liverpool new boy Darwin Nunes was sent off in his second appearance for the Reds on Sunday against Crystal Palace for a fairly vicious headbutt. But which Scottish city lends its name to the slang term for a headbutt? <laughs> what? It's called a. It's known as a something kiss. But what Scottish city is it? Oh, Glasgow. Correct. A Glasgow oh, I, kiss. I remember someone telling me that in like an island in Thailand. I don't know why. I just remember. Really? But, yeah. Wow. Random story. A little bit of a humble brag then. Joel's been to Thailand. Everyone remember that? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a flex. The game was Monday, uh, yeah. by the way, not Sunday. <laughs> I did know that, but I got it wrong. Right. So no points to me. Uh, one point to Marley. One to Joel. Next question for Marley. The Premier League is 30 this week. Des Lynam presented the very first match of the day this week, 30 years ago, covering all the action. Who were the two pundits alongside Des Lynam for the very first show? <laughs> Jesus Christ. God. Um, 1970s questions are coming out. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, you'll know this. When, when you Ma- hear the answer, Mark Lawrenson and Alan Hansen. One right out of two. It was Alan Hansen and Gary Lineker. Ah, that makes sense. So there you go. So no, Marley's missed. So Joel, it's an opportunity to go ahead for you. Hit the pause there, didn't I really? The Premier League is 30 this week, Joel. We all know Alan Shearer is the Premier League's record goal scorer, but who has the record for assists in the Premier League? That's the bloody easiest question ever. Giggs. Ryan Giggs is correct. For a bonus point, how many has he got? A hundred and nine. 
Ooh, 162. 162. 162. So Joel is one ahead. Let's see what happens next. There's no tiebreaker. That's available. such an easier question. I got a question from 30 years ago when it wasn't even... I was one years old. Right. Final round of questions. Marley. Manchester United face Liverpool this weekend with United bottom of the Premier League. When United were last relegated back in 1973-74, who was the manager? Is this a piss take? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god who was the manager 25 years before you were born Marley? um uh it's quite a famous big manager. ron atkinson it was tommy doherty was the manager of oh yes yeah. united everyone knows him <laughs> did you know that joel <laughs> did i help <laughs> and you're a united fan you should know that stuff all right you've won anyway joel but your final question elon musk has joked that he wanted to buy manchester united on twitter last night how many likes to the nearest 100,000 did the tweet get? At this point in time, at this very point in time, how many likes has the tweet got to the nearest 100,000? Oh, I'm going to say 700,000. 700,000 is incorrect. It was 600,000. Not far off, but you've done enough to win. You've won the penalty shootout. 2-1. Congratulations, Joel. A point on the board. We'll keep track over the season. Lovely stuff. Thank you, everyone. Lovely stuff. At least a Manchester United fan getting some taste of glory at the moment. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Marley. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow for another dose of football news and opinion. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Sports.